Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of the Madhouse Podcast. As always, I am your host, Mad Max. Today's episode, we're going to continue with our Terminator uh, movie marathon. We are now in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, this movie came out in 2000. This movie came out in 1991. Uh, that was the year that I was born. And uh, uh, this movie had probably one of the most profound impact moments. I didn't see it until I was much older, maybe it was more like five or six, first time I saw that movie, and everything like that, but this movie is still directed by James Cameron, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton are back as well, and they're uh, joined by our new hero and uh, a new villain at the same time. Uh, we have, uh, the newcomer is Edward Furlong, which I believe this might have been his first film. Uh, you know, he plays 12-year-old, 12 or 13-year-old John Connor. And uh, we're also introduced to the T-1000, played by Robert Patrick, one of the most menacing villains, movie villains of all time. Probably a, probably something different, where when you think of movie villains, you know, I, I honestly believe that Robert Patrick's T-1000 definitely should come up, because this guy was just amazing in every sense of the word he was terrifying he was visceral i think to what the way arnold schwarzenegger portrayed the villain in the first film i think uh robert patrick took it to he turned it up to a thousand you know in this one because he much like arnold schwarzenegger does a he, he's it's it's all about body language it's all about facial expressions it, everything about him is just menacing to the t and everything like that and you know, basically, this film is pretty much the same film as the first one. Uh, the only difference is it takes place, obviously, seven years later and everything like that. And uh, uh, instead of targeting Sarah Connor, they target John Connor himself. Uh, the feature also, but instead of sending back a soldier, they reprogram a T-800, Arnold Schwarzenegger, to become his protector when a new prototype is unleashed to um, uh, unleash his kill John Connor. And everything about, everything about this film is just, it screams uh, James Cameron high budget uh, sequel. It is for the longest time, in my opinion, it was one of the greatest sequels of all time. And this is saying something because this is in the same breath as movies like Rock. I don't well. I think Rocky Two is okay. I don't think it's better than Part One, but it's an okay sequel. But Godfather Two had already come out, Empire Strikes Back had already come out, and you know it was just it was just mind boggling how phenomenal this movie was. Um, I think what really sets this movie apart is that is one of the chasings that takes place in the middle of the movie. Well, in the very beginning of the movie, when when our characters, it's the, basically it's the it's the Galleria scene in the movie. Robert Patrick's character confronts John Connor in the Galleria, and of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger's already there. There's a shootout in what looks like to be the backstage area of the mall, and all this other stuff, and it and it leads to this incredible chase scene from the on the motorcycle being chased by the uh, the eighteen wheeler, much like what they did in part one, and everything like that, but. I think what makes this scene a little bit more intense is the fact that how is is the is 
what makes this scene much more intense than the first film is that Robert Patrick is chasing the kid on foot and he is running. I remember I saw the making of the film. He actually was able to catch and there are some takes where he almost catches the bike. And James Cameron and Robert Patrick have said that he did catch the bike in one of the takes that they did and everything like that. So it's like, oh, man, you got to slow down a little bit. And Robert Patrick was such a great character, man of very few words and everything like that. But, uh, you know, his, his like I said, his performance is what really, really separates the film. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was good in the first one as the bad guy. But to top that, that was going to be saying something and everything like that. So that was kind of cool uh, in this film. The story in this film is that John is living with uh, foster parents because Sarah Connor is in the uh, psychiatric hospital because she tries to, after the events of part one, she tries to blow up the computer factory that is responsible for uh, creating Skynet, which is the Terminators and everything like that. But she's unsuccessful and she unfortunately is uh, transferred to this uh, California hospital, uh, psychiatric hospital where... She has to undergo, you know, psych evaluations and everything like that. And the same psychiatrist that was kind of making fun of her and Reese in part one is back. And he's kind of the head psychiatrist in this one because he's basically been following this for a while. They even say that in the movie. I've been following this case uh, t uh, with much delight and everything like that because of how uh, because of how unique it was. What the hell? And, um, and, you know, that kind of carried over and, uh, this, this and whatever. And it's during this scene, but I think the dynamic between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Edward Furlong, like this, this, it almost feels like a buddy cop relationship because, you know, John Connor is a kid with basically no parents. You know, the false parents that he's had are not necessarily there are not there from when he needs them. And, you know, obviously it's a rebellious teenager and everything like that. And, you know, it's the early 90s. There's that great moment when he's listening to that Guns N' Roses song and and everything like that. But this kid is somewhat troubled. You know, he doesn't really understand how important he really is. And the idea that he's willing to go this extra mile and this this all this outlandish stuff to save his mother, that's saying something because it, it kind of shows you what leader... He, what type of leader he will eventually become and everything like that. You see that in him and you see that with, you know, all the things that he's been doing uh, throughout the film. And I think the dynamic between him and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger really kind of come into their own because you have almost, it starts off with like a buddy cop type thing with these two guys just kind of going around doing their own thing and stuff like that. But it, it kind of blossoms into almost like a father son relationship because Linda Hamilton kind of narrates throughout this entire film. Like she, she, um, she, uh, the movie is kind of told through her eyes in part one. And in this one, she kind of narrates everything and it, the narration comes through it all. The narration comes through uh, a lot of moments in the movie. And there's one moment in particular where, uh, she's there in Mexico and they're, they're getting ready to kind of get out of the city and they're going to take down, uh, Cyberdyne and all this other stuff. And there's a moment when John and the Terminator are fixing the truck and, you know, they, they kind of have this heart-to-heart -heart moment. You know, he's basically teaching him how to be cool at the same time, still looking out to protect him. And there's this moment where they're kind of doing the high-five stuff and 
Linda Hamilton kind of narrates saying there's, you know, it's amazing that, uh, that this machine is the closest thing that John has to a father, you know, never, never shout at him, get drunk and hit him or anything like that. And they mention it again in part three, but it's kind of, like I said, it's these wholesome moments with the kid and everything like that. He teaches him to be a little bit more, res- not respectful. He teaches the Terminator to be less of a robot and more human, all while the Terminator is going to stop at nothing to make sure that this kid is safe and, you know, to successfully complete his mission and everything like that. So it's these cool moments, you know, you don't get human moments like that, you know, from machines. This is the first time that we got moments like that in the, in the Terminator films and everything like that. And it was such a, such a great moment. Um, there's also, there's also some great moments from Linda Hamilton. Uh, Linda Hamilton really kind of goes to show you that, you know, her character has really evolved since part one because she kind of was the non-believer, the scared, you know, the, the, the scared mother character and everything like that. But then when we see her in part two, she's a little bit, she's a little bit of a loose cannon in this one because of, uh, everything that's happened already. And, um, the idea that, you know, she, she knows this is going to happen. And there's a great moment where she's in the psychiatric ward and she kind of gives this speech about, you know, this is about to happen. Everybody's already dead. You know, there's no point in, in trying to cover up what we already know to be true and things like that. So it was her character kind of goes from being the person who needed help, basically being the damsel in distress to being the one to being the mama bear to she's going to stop at nothing to make sure that her son is is safe you no know, no matter what this intentions are and there's a moment uh in there's a couple of moments throughout uh throughout the movie where you get these kind of like wide shots and it's Sarah Connor watching the terminator from a distance not really trusting him because of what happened in the first film and everything like that and there's even a moment now one of the things that bothered me about this movie is that when the movie came out, it's a great movie. It's a great movie to say the least. Like when it came out in the theater, I remember I owned it on VHS and everything like that. And I always got a kick out of this movie. But as I got older, I went and bought the special edition, um, the special edition, uh, Blu-ray steelbook collector's edition. And it had like 30 extra minutes. And I didn't know that. I didn't know there was like extended scenes, I didn't know that there was, you know, uh, more moments of uh, of Sarah Connor's uh, nightmare that she's been having throughout the throughout this entire movie. I didn't know there was a fucking cameo from Michael Biehn, who was one of the heroes from who was the hero from Part One, and everything like that. I didn't. I was like, wow, that's crazy. But like, if you have not seen the extended version of Terminator Two, I definitely recommend it because. If you think uh, if you think Terminator Two is already a great film, you got to go back and watch the extended version. The extended version really, really, you know, it it plays on a lot of moments. In some of the moments, we meet the character of Miles Dyson, who eventually, who he's the one who finds in part at the end of at the end of Terminator One, Sarah Connor crushes the the um, the Terminator, and that's how she escapes. And that's how they defeat the Terminator uh, in that moment and everything like that. 
the one thing that is kind of left for interpretation is that the Terminator's arm still has a hold of her. And that's the only, the it's the right arm of the Terminator. Uh, it's either the right or the left arm of the Terminator that is still intact. And then uh, the character Miles Dyson is kind of the one who kind of picks it up. And he's so fascinated by it. He studies it. And he, you know, he's amazed by this future technology and everything like that. It's just, it's just fascinating to see how... Uh, it's fascinating to see him kind of become intrigued by it. You know, they they meant they don't ever mention it. They don't mention it until that scene towards the end when you realize that yeah, we kept it because we found not only did we find the arm, we found the computer chip. It was like he says it in the movie. It's a leap years beyond anything we'd have ever ever imagined. Nobody could, nobody in the world could have ever in their right mind saw this coming. And you know, you kind of see him being the enthusiastic inventor and you kind of say like yeah you know they they went into the idea of creating skynet with the best intentions but of course a lot of things that happen are always with the best intentions but never you know it always in in catastrophe and you know they played great moments with that character he got a little bit of a story arc he got a little bit more because in the in the theatrical version you kind of he kind of comes and goes you see him very sporadically throughout the first act of the film. And then as the story progresses, he becomes more prevalent in the second act. And um, uh, there are these moments where in the extended version where he's, you know, you see a little bit more of him. And the the extra scenes with him are by far some of the best scenes of the movie because, you know, you see what he what his end game was, what the goal was. You know, yeah, they're intrigued by what they saw and what they find, but, you know, they know for a fact that it's not necessarily going to be, they also know for a fact, like Sarah and John know that, you know, yeah, it sounds cool, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be something that they can control. And, you know, they see where this is going, they see where it's kind of eventually going to end up, because obviously they know. And there's a lot of great moments in the extended version. There's also a... uh a great moment with the T-1000, how he's able to use his power to kind of get in and out of places and everything like that. There's a lot of great stuff in the extended version. Um, uh, one of the things that I mentioned was in the nightmare, In Sarah Connor has a nightmare throughout this entire movie. She They mentioned it maybe twice. In the extended version, it's like three or four times that she has it, and she's kind of she doesn't know she doesn't really get it. Basically, she it's the the nuclear strike. You know, it hits L.A. and all everybody gets blown to bits and everything like that, and and uh, you know it, it's basically the end of the world. Basically, basically it's Judgment Day, to say the least. And um, it uh it's a very impactful moment, and Sarah has it throughout this entire time. In the theatrical version, you see it in the beginning, and then she wakes up. You see it towards the end, and this time she's actually in it. Like, she's trying to warn these people, like, get out of there. And it doesn't it doesn't really happen at all. And then in the other ones, like in the two or three that she sees there, she's just like, uh, you know, she's the same thing. She's there, but she, she feels helpless because there's no way that uh, she can actually save these people. And that's really unfortunate. It, it really kind of goes into the horror of the whole you know, nuclear attack and, you know, these robots are bound to take over and things like that and and all this other stuff. But, you know, everything about 
the the extended version makes this movie like maybe four times better than what it actually is. This is a great film. It's one of the I honestly have it in my top ten, maybe even top three greatest um uh, three greatest sequels of all time. I mean, it really is. It really holds up. It's one of the best films of the 90s. It's one of the best films of all time. Everything about it, from the look and feel of the Terminator, the the final fight at the steel mill with the T-1000, that's cool. You know, even in the extended version, there's a little bit more to it and everything like that. And it really, really kind of goes to show you that they went all out for a movie like this. And Arnold Schwarzenegger himself even said that, you know, this felt different you know because we it was it was necessary to make these films come out like seven years apart which they did uh you know the first one came out in 84 and the second one came out in 91 and then part three didn't come out until like 2003 so it's like yeah there's you know these things gotta they go away for a little while and um and they're you know basically relevant again after a while but this Terminator 2 Judgment Day is really, really interesting because it it took what it took all the great things that we enjoyed about the first Terminator and basically quadrupled it because we got a better bad guy. <coughs> we got a better performance from Arnold Schwarzenegger. We got a more humanized character and everything like that. And then we got a great performance from Linda Hamilton. And then we got a fresh face in John Connor. And Edward Furlong plays an amazing you know, kid who's got this burden over him that, you know, hey, if I'm going to be the resistance leader that I need to be, you know, I got to be able to do it my way. And, you know, he carries that with him in a lot of ways, even though he's all but 12 or 11 years old at the time, you know, it goes to show you that this kid, you know, he looks at it like, you know, if this is really going to happen, then I really have to be prepared in a lot of ways. And imagine if we had this machine on our side, and it's such a great moment. All, all, the, all the character moments that all these characters have throughout it is incredible. And I think James Cameron did a fabulous job, you know, putting this movie together. Now, in the extended version, there's an alternate ending to where it's kind of like a finality. Like, you can tell if they would have went with James Cameron's original ending, because it's not the ending that they all thought. But at the end of the film, like the movie ends with... The it's such a it's such a heartbreaking moment when the T eight hundred sacrifices himself because he doesn't want the same thing to happen like they happened in part one where they find remnants of the metal and they find remnants of him throughout the thing and he says load me into the steel and you know they they have to go on and it's this kind of heartbreaking moment with him and John and it still kind of gets like those teary eyed moment in that film but. Uh, it's such a great moment. Like in the in the theatrical version, the movie ends with John and Sarah kind of driving off. That's what they do. And then in the theatrical one, you see John, you see Linda Hamilton, kind of making these, still making those uh, recordings. Like she's, you know, she still believes that there is something there. But now she's lived to be a grandmother, and you see John playing with his kids and everything like that. And it's like, wow, that's interesting. So. They kind of have like a storybook ending. It's a good ending. Everybody goes home happy. There's no, they've averted Judgment Day. But of course, you know, they didn't. Because in Terminator 3, they pick it back up. And then, shit, in, in Terminator Dark Fate, they basically undo this entire thing. So we'll get to those two films in the future. But 
you know, unfortunately, this is where this it's because of those type of endings and because of those type of possibilities that, you know, the future installments kind of fuck up the timeline and everything like that. But like I said, we'll get to that in another we'll get to that in other episodes. But as far as right now, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is by far one of the greatest, if not the greatest sequel of all time. I put it up there with Empire Strikes Back and uh, Godfather Part 2, Spider-Man 2, The Dark Knight. You know, all these great films that have great sequels to follow them and everything like that. And I think some of these sequels have even surpassed their original film. And I think Terminator is probably the a prime example of that because the special effects, everything about this film holds up to this day. Like the animatronics in part one, yeah, they're noticeable, but they're entertaining to watch. They don't really age. To whereas in Terminator 2, they're much more advanced and they're much more, and like the, the, the animatronics are there, but you, you kind of lose sight of it. It's much like what they did in Jurassic Park, how they use the animatronic T-Rex and then and they, within the same shot were able to use the CGI T-Rex. The same thing happens in Terminator 2. Like there's those great moments where it looks like an animatronic and then it cuts to a CGI moment. It's a great thing. I think Stan Winston gets a lot of... The late, great Stan Winston does not get the credit he deserves for all of the special effects and animatronics and creature effects that he's done over the last, over movies in general. Because I know he did a lot of stuff with Aliens, with Predator, with Terminator, with Jurassic Park, with Gremlins, with a lot of like those creature, with these big, great moments and everything like that. And he's, there's, there's no reason why his... Uh, his studio has won dozens of Oscars for special effects and animatronics and everything like that. And it's no different here in Terminator 2. Like, you could watch that film now and still be amazed by how how well well shot it is, well put together it is, and all the special effects and everything kind of still... It still holds up to this day, in my opinion. I think it really does. And uh, I think this movie gets a lot of the credit for it deserved. Because it set off what eventually would become the Terminator franchise. And unfortunately, it's the last great Terminator film. Terminator 1 and 2 are phenomenal films. They are great. I think this is the only movie that the that that is in the National Film Registry by the U.S. Congress, by the, by the U.S. Uh, Library of Congress and everything like that. I th- yeah, I believe it's either this one or the first one. I want to say it's this one. Uh, but you don't really see a whole lot of movies that do that and everything like that, especially movies of this caliber. You know, this movie didn't win big Oscars or anything like that. Like, yeah, Stan Winston won his Oscars for special effects and everything like that, but, you know, there wasn't no breakout moments for uh, for either of the um, either of the, the acting or the directing or even the, even the writing. The writing is good. You know, I think James Cameron has this great ability of taking these simple, simple stories of an action film and making, you know, and making these grand moments and these grand storytelling things. Like a lot, like what I said about part one was that a lot of people said that, you know, he has the ability to make a a $5 million movie look like 20. And I think that's what he did here. He made a $20 million movie look like a hundred. You know, he did a phenomenal job putting this movie together, whether it's directing, writing, and then, of course, the special effects and everything like that. The guy was on his shit. You know, and this was right before he did, I think this was his second film because, no, this was his third film because he had did, um, he did the the sequel to Aliens with Michael Biehn, Sigourney Weaver, and all that. And then after this, he would do 
True Lies came out in 95, and then Titanic came out in 97. And then there was also rumors that he was supposed to do the first Spider-Man film before Sam Raimi, which would have been fucking amazing. So, you know, I would have loved to see the James Cameron Spider-Man film with Leonardo DiCaprio and all that stuff. That would have been really cool. But it is what it is. And, you know, I think James Cameron is a phenomenal director to this day. I put him in the same categories as guys like Stanley Kubrick and and uh, Steven Spielberg and all that other, and all those guys like that. He's definitely up there. Chris Nolan, David Fincher, you know, all these guys like that. I would put James Cameron in that exact same breath as those guys. Uh, but anyways, guys, that's going to go ahead and do it for today's episode. If you liked the episode, be sure to follow the podcast on all podcast outlets, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Play, Odyssey, Reddit, wherever you're getting your podcast from. Be sure to follow the podcast on all social media outlets, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, The Madhouse 21. Let me know what you guys thought about Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Uh, have you seen it? Where do you rank it? Where do you rank it in your best movies of all time? Where do you rank it as within the Terminator franchise itself? Whatever the case may be, let me know. Instagram and Twitter, The Madhouse 21. Uh, be on the lookout for more episodes as they come out. There are some stuff dropping on Prime Video and on Hulu. There's a lot of things that I definitely want to check out. And I've already uh, wrote, I've already written some few episodes and I'm going to get those out uh, during the week and everything like that. So you may not get, you may not get an immediate uh, return from the Terminator movie marathon. You know, we might jump into something else, but whatever the case may be, uh, we are going to get out these new episodes that I've already written and everything like that, along with the rest of the movie marathon. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for anything and everything that comes out of this podcast. We have Fast 10 coming out next week. I know The Little Mermaid comes out, and I don't know if I want to do a movie marathon or something like that based on the, on the live-action films, but who knows? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Uh, but I don't know if I'm, that, that, movie's, that movie is on my radar, but I don't know if, I actually, if I'm going to see it when it comes out. I know I'm going to go see Fast 10 when it comes out, and then, of course, we have, our, we have a movie madness marathon. We have a movie marathon madness for the month of June because it goes from... June 2nd, we have uh, Across the Spider-Verse. June 9th, we have um, uh, Transformers. June 16th, we have uh, uh, The Flash. And then June uh, uh, June 23rd, we have uh, Indiana Jones. So, I mean, June is looking pretty packed, you know, if I, if I do say so myself. And I'm definitely looking forward to that. But, you know, you guys got to bear with me. I'm going to try to do the best that I can to get all those films out to you and get my reactions and everything like that. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for anything and everything that comes out of this podcast. And, of course, as always, be sure to embrace your inner madness.